Welcome back to season two of At the Heart of Art podcast. My name is Pam Yule and I'm your humble host. Today I have a different format for you that I feel confident you will not only love, but I'm betting you'll say, I needed that. As we kick off this first week of January 2024, we find ourselves setting goals and planning for a fresh start. Today's guest helps creatives do this year round. Lennon Bone spent 15 years as a professional musician. We will dive into details as we talk, but just a few notes. As a musician, he has co-written with a Grammy nominee, spent 10 years in a band touring over 13 countries, playing iconic festivals. His music has been heard on major motion pictures and major networks, and then he created Stop the Starving Artists in 2021, and he's been focused on helping artists ever since. Welcome, Lennon Bone. Hi, Pam. I'm so glad Hi. to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on our show. Okay, we always start off with just kind of a personal note. What is your family life like? So we get a glimpse of what you're balancing in the creative world. Yeah, well, you know, I my family life, I have a, a wife who is an amazing artist and illustrator. Um, I have two girls, seven and ten that are also incredibly creative. And so our house, for instance, right now is kind of a hot mess because we've just been like, I've been experimenting with um, like printmaking and stuff, which is not something I I like have a knack for. Uh, oh, wow. So, but it, it's really fun. But like, so my youngest and I, we all kind of go and work on some prints together. And then uh, my wife has been making her own paint. And then um, I was, cause I was doing these prints. I felt like I was wasting this paper. So now my wife and our oldest has been taking that and recycling it and making paper. So there's just like chaos upstairs of creative. Well, we're trying to call them creative booby traps so that it doesn't <laughs> feel like a mess. <laughs> That's a great name for it. That's great. My husband just started printmaking. Um, just a side note. Um, my husband was not an an artist and we talk about that sometimes but he just had an injury this year that put him home for four months and he was just stir crazy and dove into art so he started with printmaking so that's I awesome it's so this. fun it is so fun i love watching him carve carve out his leno cuts and and uh, peeled prints it's so satisfying oh that's awesome i love that so do you guys get to like hang together and work on that stuff or how does what's a the little dynamic bit. we we just we just renovated and we have rooms side by side so we have spaces side by side and um, I love it. and he does a lot of um illustration on his ipad so he'll kind of bring that wherever i am and and work on his illustrations so it's and turn those into the into the prints uh, sometimes sometimes he just does um i can't think of the word all of a sudden uh that's okay animated uh all little gifts and stuff yeah no um just illustrations okay uh, yeah think of the, the name for it video video illustrations um it's gonna come to me that it's really dumb that i can't think of that it's, oh, just it's totally fine my mind but graphic illustrations or whatever um yeah. like procreate that kind of thing so i'm super proud of him if you can't awesome. tell but um okay so I need to ask you, what is your day job or are you full-time creative? Yeah. So my day job is stop the starving artist. And so, okay. um, you know, and I'll say this, like, I think this is important for all, all of us to think about. It's like, 
I did a lot of personal work in the last few years where, uh, where I hired a coach and had, you know, the, these, these feelings of like, we, the identity of where money comes from versus what, where we're creative versus like our art and all these things, you know, because I think this is something that we hold on to with, we like white knuckle these ideas that if I'm not making money this specific way, then I'm not actually an artist. Right. Yeah. And so I, I did some work to kind of redefine this idea in my head. And, and one of the, the terms that I started using, and I use this in my community now is um, Seth Godin's definition. And I'll probably like butcher this, but essentially he says that art is a, courageous act that we do in order to change someone else and like it's basically an act of service and i loved this idea that it's an act you know mm -hmm. and so i can do an act by making a print i can do an act by making music I can do an act by going to the coffee shop and buying a cup of coffee and being nice to somebody. I can do an mm -hmm. act by creating a social media post, right? Right. But if it's not courageous and in the, the sense of like helping someone, then it doesn't fall under that category. And that's helped me to sort of see what I do as kind of my new art form. It's like, this is my opportunity to use my creativity in new ways. And some may be like, hey, you know, that's not accurate. And I'm like, you can suck an egg because it's totally accurate. Uh, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> because accurate because it's all me. subjective, right? Like we're just we're just making up our own stories and whatever stories we need to be able to find our own version of success. I think that's how we should live our life. So absolutely, I love that. Okay, you've traveled the world as a musician, and I just glossed over it because I wanted you to be able to tell us about it. What are okay. some of your experiences in those those years? Yeah, so. I mean, some highlights are like the, the highlights that sound cool are we played Austin City Limits and Lollapalooza and, as you said, toured a whole bunch of different countries. And, um, you know, but I, I think and we were on like Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. That was a really like a big treat, oh, wow. um, although it, it never aired. You know, like there was a the, uh, that that episode aired, but there were parts of the episode that didn't or parts that we shot that didn't go in the episode. Like we got oh, to gotcha. play uh, we got to play Bourdain at poker. And that was one of those moments where I'm just like. So nervous because I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like if I win this, like I'm beating it. And, I, you know, sort of to beat Anthony Bourdain, I'm going to say it that way to beat Anthony Bourdain at poker <laughs> was a real gift. <laughs> oh, wow. You won. So That's just, great little things where you're like you just find yourself in these instances and and other little things where you just don't even it, it's not even as significant to other people you know i remember we the first show we had uh overseas we were in spain and we were um we showed up and they took us downstairs of this building and we realized that it's this beautiful um restaurant and they fed us like squid that was right off the coast and like all these amazing things and gave us wine and all of this and it was this beautiful like really um sweet gesture of just like taking care of us right and then we go and we showed up and there's like 150 200 people at the show 
We're like, how is this possible? Are we famous? You know, like we had no idea. But the truth is, is that those people just do their jobs really well. And it just showed me like, oh, like this is when someone is passionate about what they do. And again, see it as service versus yeah. like just taking it in for themselves, which I think is unfortunately what a lot of the arts people in the arts that are sort of the, the, um, oh, what would you like the middlemen, right? Like it's all self-serving. And right. so it's like, how am I growing my thing? And so seeing that, that was like such an eye opener for me as well. And so just really grateful for a lot of those things. Cause it taught me a lot of things that like I was becoming a, uh, uh, basically a social alcoholic and kind of living two lives. And so by the end of it, I was getting really depressed and just realized a lot of the things I didn't want to be in my life. And I think that was uh, important for me to go through while also curbing my ego, which is what a lot of it was serving. And then figuring out like, okay, what am I going to do next? That, as you said, serves the most important thing, which is my family um, and, you know, uh, relationships and things like that. That's some great clarity. Um, okay. Now you didn't mention, I still don't know what um, instrument did you play and so what, you, tell you us can't about your it on the podcast, but we got a drum set right here. I so, see that. Yeah. So that's, that's my primary. I do play other things. Um, not well, I would never want someone to watch me do it, but <laughs> I can like make songs, you know, by myself, but it's not something like the skill is totally drums. I still, I still play, uh, a lot, um, doing like freelance stuff as a drummer. So that it's really fun to get to continue to, Very to do fun. that. So you didn't yeah. have to put up. That's great. Okay. So I always ask, do you have a, like a schedule or a ritual for when you, when is your work time or is it when you're in the mood? No, it's definitely not when I'm in the mood. It is very much scheduled, especially with like having kiddos and, yeah. um, you know, trying to figure out like, how do I carve out time? So, um, my schedule as of right now, which it does vary because seasons happen, right? I think like right. our, our lives go in the seasons. And so as of right now, I try to do very much a nine to five work schedule. Sure. But within that, what I've been embracing is this idea of what's the 10% of projects that are going to really do the work, you know, and nine times out of 10 for me, that's content creation because that reaches the people and helps more people. And then, um, and then within that, like, understanding my numbers, working on like the business side of things. And so those are kind of my two, two main things is like content creation and messaging, you know, how I talk to people and then understanding the numbers and kind of continuing to refine the process. So um, most of the time is spent on that. I also try to spend like today, I spent an hour just like listening to a book, um, you know, just trying to be, to be taking in things and letting mm -hmm. my mind like rest that's new for me. It's very hard to like step into that because I'm very much a, if I'm not working hard, I must not be doing it, right. <laughs> you know, when right. that's not actually true. Like a lot of times we have to be really careful about not overdoing our brain to a place where we just burn out, you know? Well, and I think of your travels of the world, I think you have to feed your soul with experiences to get that clarity of which direction you even want to go. 100%. Yeah, it's so important. And especially coming from a lifestyle that was very 
um, get up, drive eight hours, <laughs> you know, load in. And that eight hours of time, I'd be listening to music. I'd be listening to podcasts. I'd be, you know, like just, it was a lot of thinking time. Right. Um, and then getting into the business side, I think I felt very much uh, obligated, like, oh, you got to go do, 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 do. And it's just like, oh, sometimes the doing is the resting or the right. taking in things, you know, and, right. and replenishing, as you said. I agree. Okay. You mentioned audiobooks. Do you have any rituals for your mindset and creativity practices? Like you mentioned music and audiobooks, maybe meditation or journaling, stuff like that. Yes. I do a lot of journaling. Um, I wouldn't say every single day, but most days. That's great. Um, I have a bullet journal that I keep where I'm still, while I still use a lot of digital tools, I love analog like lists and because crossing something off a list or being able mm -hmm. to look back and be like, well, maybe I didn't accomplish everything, but I can actually see what I have accomplished yeah. is a huge help for me because I'm very much a like, you haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. And I'm, mm -hmm. so I'm constantly collecting evidence to show that I have and, um, journals help me do that. So I love getting up. Um, I have a faith, a big faith practice. Like that's a part of me. And so I'll like read the Bible maybe for 20, 30 minutes. And then I'll do, uh, journaling. And a part of my journaling practice is like, I'll, <laughs> I will, if I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed, I will, I have characters and I've talked about this before publicly, but it's like, I have Lenny and Lenny is the corporate mogul. He's the guy that wakes me up in the morning and shows me the quarterly sheets and goes, we had a revenue goal and you haven't hit it. Like you're an idiot, you know? <laughs> and then I have uh, this other version of me, which is like, um, I call him, I call him Pat. So my middle name's Patrick. So Pat's the one that like, is the people pleaser and is constantly coming in and trying to make everybody happy. And he'll at his own expense to where inevitably he just lays on the ground and starts crying and was like, I knew I could never do this anyway. Like it was all, you know, and so I'll let them in my journaling, like speak. Um, and I got this from uh, like Liz Gilbert and um, the gal that wrote artist way. I can't think of her name currently, but oh, uh, Julia Cameron. Uh, Julia Cameron. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I got this from them where I'll just kind of let them each speak. And then I call for wisdom, like, okay, wisdom, what do you have to say to these things? And to me, that's kind of my idea of like tapping into how I feel like uh, my connection to God is like allowing me to see what he's doing in my life. And so it just kind of makes me see the ridiculousness of <laughs> what great. my brain does every day. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you do that. That that's great. I love uh, giving them a voice because you kind of yeah. need to get it off your chest and then moving on to the wise decisions. <laughs> yeah. And, my, and it's funny because, you know, my wife will now go like, who's, who's in charge right now? Like, is it Lenny? <laughs> is it Pat? Like what's, cause if she knows that I'm like, she's like, yeah. who, who's got the, who's got the wheel, you know, set you straight. That's great. Yeah. Okay. When did you begin your creative journey? Were you a musician as a child or did this start later in in life or yeah so i my dad is a bass player oh wow and um i can remember going and like seeing him play um at 
he was one he was in the original house band at uh bb king's club in memphis before it got like super touristy wow. and um so i remember going there and being too young to be in there but they let, let me go yeah. and um i was just kind of blown away and i think one of those one of the cool things that i remember being like oh the like the guitar player does all this crazy cool stuff and you know they were doing a lot of blues music so it's like and then the the sax player does all these things and like so that was like super cool and i was like but the drummer just like gets to sort of make all that feel great and so i was like i yeah. want to do that like that was the thing i wanted to do because yeah. it didn't feel like in a weird way and i know this sounds lazy but it felt like <laughs> not as much work but it was like the service role you know like i got yeah. to serve the song in that place and i remember my dad telling me when i wanted to play drums he goes um if you want to get gigs like don't think about being flashy just think about serving the song. If you can make it feel good, um, you'll do great. And I've just kind of lived by that sometimes to my detriment, you know, but uh, it's, it's super fun to kind of uh, approach everything that way. So I, I started, I did band in school. I was a trumpet player um, and through like school band and then would play drums like in other places. And then um I joined uh, what's called Drum Corps International. So this is a thing called uh, where essentially it's like all brass and percussion instruments. And mm -hmm. we would tour um, about all summer and compete. And so the one I was in was like seventh in the world or something like that. And I've played mellophone in, in that, which is kind of a bell front. If you're familiar with a French horn, it's kind of a bell front facing French horn. So, okay, um, yeah, it's it's super fun super fascinating like marching band on like steroids you know like so crazy fun How stuff fun yeah okay i always ask and i love your thoughts on this uh do you ever get stuck or unmotivated and how do you handle it okay so i forget now which thoughts you liked about mine so feel free to <laughs> chime them in when if i if and when i miss them but okay. here's Here's what I think about like being stuck and especially currently. Um, we are usually stuck because we have created an obligation. And my my coach, Ellen Brown, she says obligation is a breeding ground for resentment. Mm. And like if you're listening to this, just like let that sink in. If there's something in your life that you feel stuck on, is there an obligation to it? An obligation is usually surrounded by expectation. Like what do you expect from this thing? And I've been really toying with this idea in both business and creativity. And I think there's so much to be learned as creatives through business. And I know that that seems counter to what most creatives think, but in business, we have to go through all these fears and these like, you know, all these things that create tension, you know, mm -hmm. and creativity is no different, except that in our best times, we are at play with the thing. You know, we don't have this obligation underneath it or this high expectation. We just show up and what? Do the work. 
you know? Yeah. And so that's what I think about a lot is like, how do I make, how do I make everything in my life just about the process and saying my only commitment and maybe even commitment is the wrong word, but my only like desire is to fulfill the task. Mm -hmm. How it comes out beyond that doesn't matter. So how this shows up in my creativity is I ask myself like, well, what do I want? What's missing? Like, what do I want to see happen here? And what might help me do that? So for instance, you know, some sort of creative thing has been missing music is not something that feels exciting to me right now i i think because i have you know a lot of just a lot of different things visual feels exciting and i now i'm starting to see how these two things that i'm sort of working on could eventually start to play together mm -hmm. um but that's only happened because i created this idea of like well how do i do something that would be fun and easy and it was the printmaking and it was like oh yeah. this really seems to like do this thing, but I had to take away any expectation and just say, I'm just going to show up and make stuff like that's yeah. all I'm going to do. And that's really helped me to, to slowly start to develop this practice. And what I've noticed is that even in my business, these things that where there is pressure, because a lot of artists will say, well, I can't do that, Lennon, because I got to go make money. Well, yeah, but here's the thing, like, what is the pressure doing for you besides probably taking money out of your pocket? So mm -hmm. which story serves you better, but to say like, I can go now and take away the expectation and just say, I'm just going to show up and do the action because that's all I'm responsible for. How mm -hmm. it ends up, I have, you know, there's so many things outside of my control, but what can I control? I can control the action and I can yeah. do my best to make that fun. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you, I, I'm, I won't do this to you the whole time, I promise, but I do want to go back and quote what you said about that. Yeah. You, um, or and get you to tell us, you talked about being pushed by pain that forces you to a choice. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Pushed by or, pain and then um, pulled by vision. That's right. Yes. And so this is, I don't, I don't, can't remember where I got this concept from. It's not an original concept to me, but um, it really struck me because when we're stuck, you know, we usually want more for ourselves and mm -hmm. the universe, if you think of it in this expansive thing, it's something that's constantly expanding, right? If we say that that's like, that's like that's just science right so it's constantly mm -hmm. expanding and so if it's expanding technically we're expanding along with it so there's this feeling of like expansion and so when you think about that you have no choice but to move forward <laughs> and mm -hmm. so this idea is that you know we either will be will refuse to move and pain will force us to move so we'll hit some sort of rock bottom and that hurts. We don't like that. And so we are forced out of it, you know, and I think as an example of my mom, so my mom was an alcoholic and tried over and over to kind of, and I'll use tried in quotes over and over to fix this problem. Right. But what right. she really was doing is staying in the middle. You know, she was kind of like 
it would get painful and then she'd go back to alcohol and then like, you know, she'd feel comfortable in that sort of middle ground. Right. But eventually the pain became so much because she hit rock bottom that it forced her out of it. Okay. Thankfully, before her life, you know, before it like right. ruined her life. Um, although arguably it ruined many, many years of her life. And right. so that pain pushed her out of it. Now, the other option is a vision. Like, what are we looking to that pulls us forward? And many times we don't know what we want. And so if you're listening to this. Yeah, this well, if, if this was this is really big, yeah, because it it's not just a short term thing. Like vision is is big picture, you know. Um, so one of the things I do in our community is we talk a lot about vision. So we don't set goals like a lot of people set goals that say, um, "I want to publish more on Instagram this year," or "I want to grow my audience by X amount," or "I want to make X dollars." Um. That's that's great. But to me, that's not a goal, right? Because that's a task. Like it's either a task or it's something you don't have control over. So if you're saying, I want to make X thousand dollars this year, that's fine. But you don't have control over the end number. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you only have control over the task. And so ultimately, you're just setting another task for yourself. But that task is not the real thing you want. Like what is the money going to give you? What will the followers give you? Followers may give you more money. Money may give you more time. Time might give you more with your family. More with your family may give you more fulfillment. And more fulfillment may feel as though you're a bigger part of like what's happening. And so you have to dig deeper than that. And it gets really uncomfortable for us because, you know, we realize that we have grander visions and then the fear of hitting that vision hit mm -hmm. sinks in and we don't move right mm -hmm. so you have mm -hmm. to allow yourself to be like no i don't get to have confidence in this vision yet and i'm working on a video about this today but we have to be courageous right we mm -hmm. have to be like the cowardly lion if you remember in um wizard of oz you know the whole time the cowardly lion is just like terrified of everything and what's going on Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, the cowardly lion was still incredibly courageous because what did what did the lion do? It kept moving. It it had support and it kept moving. And that's, that's what great. got it to the place of being confident by the end. And so the more that we can just have support and keep moving, mm. the more likely we are to see that vision to fruition. And so that's, so that's kind of the concept. I love that. Okay, you said that with unfinished tasks and limited time, we get overwhelmed. You suggest that we don't try to change the calendar. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think about that. Yeah. Like, so I, yes. um, I do, I do something called a, a red line. Um, I think it's like the red line, something or other. But essentially, I forget what I named it. Uh, but this is an exercise that I also do with uh, clients, which is like. If you have these things that you know you need to get done, you have to first start with the vision. So we've discussed that a little bit, right? And then you feel as though like, well, where do I start? Like I got all this crap that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. So where we start is by listing everything that you feel like needs to get done. All the things, right? 
Right. And just a huge brain dump. There's no wrong answer. Put it all out there. And then what you do is you say, okay, based on my vision, are there any of these that don't align? Like if I feel like I have to go and clean the kitchen sink, <laughs> like is that, <laughs> that actually aligned with my vision? <laughs> right. Is that actually getting me toward the vision or not? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like that sounds silly, but that's real life. You know, like yeah. that's what we do. It's like that's right. I woke up this morning and I was like, oh crap, I gotta like do some dishes and stuff. And then I was like, no, I don't. Like that's not what's getting me to the thing today, you yeah. know? Um, and so I have to cross those things off the list. And then the next question becomes, okay, now we've got this other list that's like more in alignment. And then you go, what is the one thing that if I did it would make the other things either either obsolete, like you didn't wouldn't need to do them anymore, or it would make them easier? Okay. And you put that at the top of the list. And then you do that two more times. And now you've got three items on your list. And then you draw a red line below those three things. And once you achieve those three things, you can do the exact same exercise and move other things to the top of the list. Okay. Or once you achieve one, you can do it. But right, you want to always start with the most Impactful. valuable thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been really helpful for me. And mind you, like, I say all these things like they're really easy because they're easy concepts, but they're 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 not like or they're simple concepts, but they're not easy <laughs> to do because yeah. we're we're having to carve new neural pathways in our brain to do things differently. So I want everybody to like approach this with the understanding that creating a habit is not about doing it thirty times in a row. It's about giving yourself the grace to screw it up. And then go back and do it again and being like, it's okay, I'll try again, you know? And I think that that's how we really make progress. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you explained that there's a difference between a hobbyist and a professional. Can you explain that? You had a, a, a metaphor that I just loved about the apples and an apple and the seeds. Yeah, this is a new one for me that I've, I'm playing with a lot where... <laughs> The hobbyist is, a, you know, if you're a creative person, like the hobbyist is essentially a dabbler, you know. And so if we if we create this idea that um, if you're a dabbler, let's say you're a fruit salesman. So this means that you're looking for the the almost like the fastest way to get whatever it is you're looking for. So you're selling your fruit. So you're going to take whatever fruit you find and go and immediately sell it. And the professional understands that it's not the fruit that you get right away that creates you the most you know, return. It's what's in the fruit. It's the seeds. Because the seeds, when we plant those, it creates more fruit. And what I've been toying with is this idea that your art, if you're thinking of your art as the thing you're selling, that's your fruit, right? And the seed is your ideas. Because I, I say this all the time, like you aren't, uh, sorry, you don't make art, you are the art. Because everything you create is a byproduct of your experiences, your skills, 
your ideas, your stories. And so that's the seed, you know, those things that I just listed. So you have to ask, like, if I plant those seeds, how does that show up differently? What new fruit do I create? What other opportunities do I have to create revenue or be more creatively fulfilled or whatever, you know, um, you can put that wherever you want, but it's, it's not putting all the pressure on the one piece of fruit and, and being like, no, I got these ideas and that's what really matters. And this allows artists to not worry about people copying their style because they understand like style don't matter. Like we've been copying people's styles for centuries, you know, mm -hmm. like it's the idea behind that. And there's another concept that says um, a product without a story is a commodity. And I really believe that. And so, you know, whatever you're creating, art or song or whatever, like if there's not a story for somebody to grab onto, then the the like visual element or the structure or whatever is all you have. And so that's why you become like everybody else. But when you say, well, this is what's underneath this, mm -hmm. somebody goes, oh, okay, I get it. I see why this is different now. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think that leads into this pretty well. What makes someone buy art? And what I was watching was you gave an example of a coffee cup. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. This was a, I think a TikTok that I put out a few weeks ago, but the. It was an um, interview with someone. That yeah. So this was a, from a, a coaching call in our community. Cause someone was like, she was asking, um, because I, I was basically saying like, okay, you know, what gets people to buy? And I answered this question and I said, okay, well, it's really, to, it, it, the main thing is like, will this make me happy? You know, am I if I buy this, will this make me happy? That's number one. But we have to like drill that down and kind of peel back the layers. Because one of the, one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of artists make is they think like, that just showing someone something is the thing that creates the joy. And they're forgetting that the most valuable part is the experience that surrounds the thing. Mm -hmm. Because art is not inherently a problem solving product, right? Um, but if I buy a cell phone, like that solves a lot of problems for me that are right. very like practical. And so we have to ask, like, well, then how does our art become a problem solver for some somebody? And it becomes that by the story underneath it. And so, for instance, <clears throat> I use this analogy a lot where it's like if you go on vacation with your husband and let's say you guys are in the mountains, in like a mountain town somewhere, and you go into a local shop and you see something by a local artist and you buy it um what are you what do you, what do you feel like you're buying i that would be probably the experience that i would go home and constantly have it tied to this was from my trip and yeah. here's what i learned about this artist that's right yeah and the this now becomes a conversation piece for mm -hmm. this experience that you and your husband had right yeah. if you go to an art fair and you're buying from someone you are there with the mindset the same as when you go to target and i know that people don't like when we like make it logical but we sometimes have to that it's the same process when you go to an art fair 
It's like going to the target of art things. Like you're going there with the intention to browse and peruse and have a good time. And like, you know, maybe buy something. It's like, what right. then, then like the, it's experiential. And then the artist is a part of that experience. So the deeper that you can get someone into that story and that experience, the more valuable it becomes. And so this gal in my community said, well, I'm just not a good customer because I'll just buy a cup, you know, just because, because I think it's cool. And I'm like, well, how much do you pay for those cups? And she's like, I don't know, five, 10, maybe 20 bucks. I was like, well, what if that cup costs $500? What would you do then? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I would like have to think about <laughs> all these other things <laughs> that you're talking that about. Through a little more. And that's what I'm getting at is like, I don't want artists to, to sell $5 products, mm -hmm. you know, because, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be straight about this because I feel like that is doing a disservice to the art, to the person that's buying it and to the artist, all three of those things. When you sell cheap stuff, you are not allowing yourself to get better at being a communicator, right? You're not allowing yourself to value the work that you have and see and understand that value enough to express it and communicate it, usually out of fear. You're not allowing someone else to commit, you know, like commitment, like uh, one of my mentors says, um, the transaction is where the transformation happens. Mm -hmm. You know, when I buy something that I spend more money on, my commitment to that thing is exponentially higher. You know, so I got things around the house that I don't let my kids touch, right? Because yeah. they're too young. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, how do we create these things that someone will commit to? And then on the final bit of that, it's like the fear is usually, well, how do I find those people, right? Don't try to find those people. Be more findable. You know, that's really what it comes down to is how do you put yourself in a position of being more available to those people that already exist because they do that want your thing. And a lot of that just has to do with telling your story, sharing your beliefs, sharing your ideas, all those seed elements. And when you want to make more valuable art, you got to be a more valuable human being. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Man, that's genius. Okay. You said that art doesn't always speak for itself. And that, that was huge to me. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, I think that what I just said, touches on a lot of it, but essentially, yeah. you know, if, again, if we'll get to this like practical idea in throughout time, the, the initial even reason for art or like, vi especially visual art or these things was to tell stories. Yeah. Right. Like that's what it did. So it was like, cave drawings of like, here's the thing and here's our tools and here's whatever. It's like documentation. Uh, songs were opportunities to carry on inherit like uh, our heritages, our cultures, things like that. You know, like what a beautiful thing. And then we've sort of like stripped it away to be this amalgamous, like whatever, you know, and I get it, like it's fine. But when it got to that point, then people 
started to show up and say like, well, I'll, I'll tell you how to do this thing. I'll tell you how to sell this stuff. And artists were like, yeah, please. Cause that's easier. And then those people all of a sudden essentially own the artist, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're the ones that are speaking on behalf of the art. They're the ones that are going to galleries and saying, Oh, you're going to love this artist. They're incredible. And it's the same thing. I, I use the record company analogy in their prime, a record label and a gallery is no different, mind you, a record label would take on hundreds of artists as an investment, knowing that less than, I want to say less than 5% would actually succeed. Wow. That's insanity when you think about mm -hmm. it, right? But we don't ever hear about the 90 percent or the 95 percent because why like they never made it <laughs> you oh. know and so when you think about it that way the art has never spoken for itself someone has already always spoken on its behalf and in many ways it's your friends and family that say like oh you should check this out you'll love it or it's some hot shot that says like oh this is great or it's the radio or it's media or it's a gallery or it's whatever, right? We let someone come in and tell that story. And I think with those, those numbers in mind, like it's more important than ever for artists to see that those people, those middlemen, they need the high level to succeed because their investment is much higher. They're taking all the risk. But when an artist takes all the risk and it has so much lower overhead, mm. the only thing you're really, the cost financially is pennies in a bucket compared to most businesses that have to mm -hmm. like build. Mm -hmm. And you think the big thing is your time and then just getting past yourself. And then if you only get, if you only get a small percentage of the people, of your people to buy, like you only need a couple hundred people that are spending $500 and you're making a hundred grand a year. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a flip of perspective and potential and possibility versus like, I need these middlemen in order to make it happen. And to understand that it's all a false narrative, this like idea that let your work just speak for itself. It's like somebody else told some artists that, and they were like, yeah, that sounds great. And then they went and like told the story, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it all comes back to the story. A thousand percent. Um, I think I'm looking at my next question. I think you already covered this, but I loved your definition. So I'm going to tell one part. You've been saying that uh, we need a personal brand mapped out and um, you talk about it being our story and our message and our art. But yeah. can you tell everyone what you said a brand is? Yes. So a brand is again this is a seth godin uh definition a brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room i love that and it's it's one of those things where brand can feel like an icky word for artists because they're like well i don't want to be apple or coca-cola and it's like good then because you're not you're a human being you know that means you probably have I don't know, like way more potential touch points to reach people than Apple will ever have. Like you think about the constraints 
now they're huge now, right? But like, right. but also huge because of the scale of employees and people and all these things. But you think about like the great creatives that you follow or that you're like interested in, you're not just interested in the art. It's like all these other elements, their interests, their inspiration, their motivation, like the stuff that if you went to your friend and you're like, you need to check this out because blank, mm -hmm. you know, and because they believe in blank, like what would you talk about? That's really what we're talking about here is just how people speak about you when you're not in the room is a really, really cool thing to think about is like, what story do I want someone to tell when I'm not there? And how will my like highest value people talk about me? Um, you know, when I'm not there to talk about myself. Yes. And that goes perfectly with an anecdote that you told that I loved. You were telling one about when people go to the hardware store for a drill bit, they're not really dry buying the drill bit. Yeah. Explain it's, that because that, that really clarifies it. Yeah. So the idea is that um, this goes back to this idea of like the importance of a story underneath a product mm -hmm. because the reason the story is is so valuable is because um, people don't buy things, they buy feelings. So we, we said that the highest value of a thing is that it makes me happy, right? But what makes me happy, because I, and I'll, I'll preface this with a story, like I had a, um, a gal who I was consulting and she said, I said, well, what do you want people to get from your art? And she said, well, I want it to make people happy. And I said, well, okay, why? Like, what is it that they need to be happy? And she goes, well, doesn't everybody just want to be happy? You know, she was kind of like thrown off, like sort of annoyed, like I was saying yeah. people shouldn't be happy. And I'm like, no, everybody wants to be happy. But what's going to make me happy in my current circumstance is very different than what's going to make Pam happy in her current circumstance from my wife, from my kid, you know, like we all have different things that we're coming up against that would allow us to be more happy, you know? And so we have to look at this person and say like, well, if I'm offering them happiness, like what's in the way of that? And what feeling do I want to give to them? Because if someone goes to the hardware store to buy a drill bit, they're not actually buying a drill bit for a drill. They're buying the whole and they're not even buying the hole, they're buying the shelf that they're putting on the wall. And they're not even buying the shelf, they're buying the feeling that they get whenever all the crap is off the floor and their significant other comes in and gives them a kiss on the cheek and says, thank you. They're buying a sense of pride and accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ask like, if, if they're buying a sense of happiness, if that's what they're getting from your work, then how do we get them there? What's in the way? And we have to speak to those things in in the stuff we talk about, in the content we make, in our stories, in our whatever, so that someone goes, oh, I love what Pam's doing because it really hits with like where I'm at as a human. Yeah. And that, and that's the tough question is going back to that vision you talked about and of getting, yes. getting your vision straight and your story and it all aligns just beautifully. Um, you were saying that a professional, bleh, bleh. you were saying that a professional does every part of the job and an amateur only does the fun parts and causes many to fail. 
So why do you think we do that? Um, it goes back to this, like, pushed by pain, pulled by vision. You know, I think many times we don't have a clear enough vision that allows us to see that the discomfort is the gift, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, we don't grow unless we're uncomfortable. And I think that that's just like such a, such an interesting thing, you know, because what I see a lot with our clients is they like start to work with us is that they'll say things like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to spend time on my social media, for instance, you know, because it, it, um, it just feels gross, you know, and that's fine. You know, I get it. Um, but what we have to recognize in that is that you're avoiding something because it feels a certain way. And nine times out of 10, it feels a certain way because you have a certain vision around it, right? Because feelings mm -hmm. don't just happen. <laughs> like something, an experience has happened or a story exists that has caused you to go, oh, I don't like this thing, right? It's like when one of my mentors uses this story, it's like, when you go and you are in traffic and you're trying to get somewhere and someone cuts you off, you might get enraged, mm. you know, likely you will, especially if they cut you off and then they slow way down. Mm -hmm. But what if you got out of the car and looked in the car to see that it was your grandmother and the only reason that she cut you off is because she was trying to get to the CVS to like get her medication on time. Like the context changes how we feel about it. Yeah. And so this is something I think about often because I'll say it, social media doesn't feel exciting for me unless I start to see that, you know, when I make a post, every post I make is an opportunity to help someone take their next step toward like living a better creative life. Mm -hmm. Like that's my vision is how do I help people live a more fulfilling creative life? And it all comes back to service. And so if you can't see your art as an opportunity to, or, or yourself as an artist, as an opportunity to serve somebody at a higher level, you probably will have problems. And so you have to be able to cast a vision that says, oh, this isn't discomfort. Like this is opportunity. It's only discomfort when I see that like, oh, it's not working like I want to. It's not doing this thing. Hey, that's data. That's you saying there are things I can fix and you don't have to fix them all at once. You can fix the most important thing and that can make a drastic difference. You know, we use this term in business a lot where it's like some people say, uh, you know, if I just make a 2% increase in my conversions on this landing page, 2% increase could be thousands of dollars. Yeah. You know, and so we have to see these incre incremental changes and shifts as as potential possibility and I that's that's where I think this benefit of like business ideas and creative ideas uh really coexisting and creating new uh just mental capacity as creatives. I I just think it's really 
amazing. I, I truly do. I hope well, that answers it, the question. It does. And, and I think it goes well with something else I wanted to touch on. You talked about sometimes doing Instagram posts and things like that. We feel like a used car salesman. And I thought your point was just spot on. And I'm sorry I keep doing this, but I wanted you to share that. <laughs> Do you remember? I don't remember I that one. Give me a refresher on like. Okay. How I when you see, when you're wanting, a, when you need a car, we need a car salesman. The, oh, so yeah. We yeah. We don't want the used car salesman that's the, in the traditional sense, but we're looking for someone that we trust. That's right. And, and, and there's two sides to that. Yeah. So if you go, if I go and buy a used car, you know, I'm going in order to get something right. Like I'm already in the mood for this thing. And this is this idea of like, goes back to the, to trusting that when somebody finds you, that they are the person that's already ready. So your, your job is not to convince someone of anything. And that should be like, you know, we, we feel slimy because we've had all, we've all had those experiences. And I like to use car salesman analogy where for me, I remember going to buy a car and one guy comes up to me and says like, um, Hey, you know, are you looking to buy something? And I said, yeah, I am. And they said, well, have you, uh, what are you kind of looking for? Well, I don't really know. Um, and they go, well, why don't you try this and this and this and this? And then as I'm thinking about these things, they're just asking the wrong questions. You know, they're just looking for an opportunity to put me in the place of like convincing me. Oh, well, if you don't really know what you want, then why don't you try this? When the better question becomes like, okay, well, what would make this exciting for you? Like, you know, if you just think about it, like what would be exciting? Again, this is a place of service, you know? And so that idea of, getting curious with your people and saying like, well, why do you follow me in the first place? What is it that you really like? And how can I do more of that? Like, where, where do you find me helpful? And if you don't have an audience, ask your people, like your, the people that are around you the most, like, where do I, where do you, what do you ask me for? That's not just art related. And that can be a really powerful question um, because then you start to see where you're a natural server mm -hmm. and then you can lean into those things where you're not trying to convince anybody of anything, but you're just trying to offer opportunity for them to see again, the value that you have. And so when you make an offer of your art or whatever it is, they're already trusting of you because you've given them time, you know, you've allowed them to get to know you and where your heart's at and what you're trying to say. And the guy that I chose, you know, we went to three or four car dealerships and the guy that I chose was the one that was like, he did two things really well. He listened. That was the thing he did the most. He asked great questions and helped me to see what would be the most helpful. And then the third thing is that he followed up, but he didn't do it in a dirty way. He's just like, hey, just checking in. You know, we talked about this, like, because he knew that I was already there. So yeah. we see following up as this like dirty thing. No way. Like, we're busy. But when he followed up, I was like, oh, I like this guy because he's not, you know, he's not being rude about it or or showing any pressure. He's like, I don't care. I just want to know, like, how can I help you? Like, what's yeah. the best way to do this? He cares to reach back out and follow yeah. up with your problem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What would you say to someone like me who thinks they're just ill-equipped? Oh, 
<laughs> well, I'll ask you, like, what what does it mean to be ill-equipped? How do you feel ill-equipped? Um, so many times I just don't feel, I always say I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So let's put this in a perspective. What are you trying to achieve that you feel you're ill-equipped to achieve? Um, becoming a professional artist. Okay. So what would make you feel equipped? What do you feel like you need to have in order to be fully equipped to be a professional artist? I think I need more skills, okay. more, more followers. Okay. More skills, more followers. I'm going to write these down. Okay. Because <laughs> this is exactly how I would go through it. And so if you're just listening to this, like, listen to the questions as much as like the answers, you know, because I think that that's a lot of times, like if you want better answers, like ask better questions, you know? Right. Okay. So you feel like you need more followers, mm -hmm. um, more skills. Yeah. Like, I feel like even if the skills are there, then I've got to have the followers to have the audience to reach. And so what is a professional to you? Someone who makes a living selling their art. Okay. And why that? Like, why is making a living what creates a, a, a professional? Um, gosh, that's a hard question. Um, I guess the idea that you are supporting yourself in your endeavors. So let me ask you this. Have you ever followed someone in your life that didn't make a living at something, but you still saw them as a professional? Yeah. Yeah. I think there we've had artists on the show that I followed and then was surprised to find out it wasn't their, it wasn't their day job. You know, they, they yeah. had to do something else to support themselves. Okay. So, so is it safe to say then that your definitioning definition of a professional in this case is isn't off. necessarily true. Right. Okay. So we start there. We can say, okay, we, we you have seen someone that you thought was a professional, but they didn't make it their day job yet. So what right. qualities did they have that made you see them as a professional? I think the quality of their work in doing shows and selling their work, Okay. So they were doing shows, they were selling their work and they had quality, uh, quality output. Okay. Yes. Great. So do you feel like you have quality work? Not yet. I'm in art Why? school. I'm working on it. Okay. So let's, de let's define quality then. Like what would create, what would allow you to see your work as quality? That's so hard to put your finger on. Um, and maybe that goes back in the wrong direction for me to feedback that I get from others. Okay. Interesting. Like people buying the, buying the work. So you're getting feedback from people that are buying your work. Yes. Okay. Well, there's one thing that I think is interesting. So why are they giving you feedback and they're buying your work? What's the feedback you're getting? that they like it and it makes them happy. 
Okay, so there's two things that are happening here that I think are interesting. One, you're selling your work. Yeah. Two, someone else said that it's quality. Where are you selling this work? Oh, at festivals and things Shows? like that. Shows? Yeah. Yeah, you sound well. a lot like a professional. That's really interesting. <laughs> My husband's going to love you. <laughs> we go round and round. <laughs> So like if but, you but I allow... haven't had like a solo show or anything big, sure, like that. that's okay. I feel like, right. Like, I will totally say fine. yet. I'll say yet. Yeah. yeah. But let's go back to this thing, right? Like yes, you, you, you want more skills, right? right. Yes. You want more followers, but you already have this evidence based on the qualifications that you set on someone else yeah. that they make quality work that they sell and they do what it shows and they don't necessarily make a living from it. You already are fully in alignment with being a professional in your own standard. And so what does it look like then if you allow yourself to operate from that perspective instead and say, yes, I want to improve, but I am already valuable and living as a professional. Like, what does that change for you? Everything. That's huge. <laughs> huge, right? Like, yeah, it gives and, me more confidence to keep doing what I'm doing. Right. And so I think that that's like a big part of it is we have to look at these definitions that we create for ourselves, and then go, is that really true? Because it's usually not right. You know, we're our, we're the worst on ourselves. It's like, I, I love, I love it. Uh, my old boss used to talk about something where, um, you know, we always entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial people like want to quit their jobs so they can be their own boss. And it turns out when they're their own boss, they're the worst boss they've ever had, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. demand way more of them. They think less of them. They like constantly are nitpicking them, you know, right. and it's like, how, if we're going to be the boss of our own business, what we can't operate like? that way. We have to yeah. treat ourselves as professionals. And I just think that's like such a great shift. So does that answer the question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I just want to know, what do you dream about for your future? Yes. Um, well, I can, I, how about I read it to you? Cause this is okay. what I wrote for my vision for this year. And I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. I haven't shared this outside of my uh, community. So this is not I think usually what a something. lot of this is, is fears and vulnerability. Don't you think? It's, it's 90% of what moves us forward is our action. And so if you think about that that is the thing that's moving us forward, then we have to ask ourselves, what is holding us back from taking mm -hmm. action? Because if it's just about taking action, then what's the mechanism that's keeping us from it? And I think in just a few minutes, we looked at one of the mechanisms that's likely keeping you from taking certain actions. And then you look at it in a very real sense and go, oh, that's not so bad. Like maybe I could do more of this stuff, <laughs> you know? And you'd likely get more followers, which is the thing, right. another thing that you want, you know? So I, I, for me too, like nobody, nobody is um, immune to these things. And I think that that's really 
important for all of us to remember as well is that we're all just people um, dealing with the same problems, just at varying levels. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So I wrote this down as when I think about my vision, I'll give you kind of the two, the two versions of it. Cause I think, I often think big picture vision, but I also think of big picture vision with the understanding that I'm going to consistently be changing as a human being. And so I can't, I can't assume that I'll be the same person a year from now, you know, that has that vision. And so I kind of have to let that be malleable. And I I've learned to be okay with that a little bit, but if I think about my big vision, you know, I would love to build stop the starving artist to a place where we have, um, multiple teachers in different varying um, mediums, music, visual art, whatever, that are teaching business and mindset and personal development concepts, not necessarily art, you know, in the truest form. Because again, um, you know, I'm I'm just a big believer that your art skills are probably the least significant thing. I don't want to say the least significant, but it's the thing we put all the eggs in and we don't have enough people that are like showing people the other eggs. And so I'd I'd love to build it to a place where we have this like almost school of people so that I don't have to do it all. And we can reach way more people. Cause I, that's, that's what I want to see. Um, but in terms of like currently, um, one of the, the exercises we do in our community is we do something called a project design and this is our goal setting, right? So, um, what the first question that we ask, and this is an exercise that if you're listening, I would totally do this for 2024. Uh, the question is, what does life look like because of this goal or this vision that you have being realized? Why does this matter? What will this feel like? What's going to be different for you? And then this will give me a gift of blank. So for me, my answer to this is I'm no longer trying to build a business that fits my life. I'm trying to live a life that serves my faith, family, health, and finances, prioritizing personal growth, reflection, and service to others at the highest level possible. I do this through the act of creativity, but I also understand that at this season, creativity looks like getting creative with the minutia of my faith, family, health, and finances. There will be some big picture changes, but some changes might feel so small that they don't even seem like a change. The change might even be clear in hindsight as I see that I'm now able to work the systems that have already been created in the business, allowing my time to grow, my finances to grow, my faith to grow, and my family to stay at the forefront. So this means my focus is on the focus, the continuation, and fulfilling the vision. This will give me a life full of experiencing life, not through the lens of distraction or wishing I was further along, but through realizing that everything I do is a choice I get to make and every choice I get to make is a gift. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I'm like, okay, that's the goal, you know? So if I'm operating with those things in mind, even if I'm not hitting financial goals, like life is better. And that's a pretty awesome thing. Right. Yes. It sounds very well-rounded. That's great. Okay. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share? I noticed you have um, ongoing workshops and things like that, or I don't know if that's the right word for it, but 
um, yeah. intensives. Yes. So if you, let me see what it's uh, under. I don't remember what the link is. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> Okay. okay, yeah. No, you can get it. Okay, I did set it up. Okay. I was like, maybe I didn't do it right. All right. So um we all like we do uh, a workshop that's all around um, or I do a workshop rather, uh, all around the seven steps to creating a much more profitable art business. And I do this uh about every two weeks. So whenever you're listening to this, um, you can just go to stopthestarvingartist.com. And you'll see something at the top there that'll say, save my spot. So that's a great place to, to go and sign up for the workshop that's coming up. And the reason I do them every couple of weeks is because they're always live currently. I might do pre-recorded versions of it later, but to me, it's really important at this stage to do as many live workshops as I can. But, you know, again, if, if you're in this position of like, I want to sell more of my art or I want to be have more followers or whatever, like the things that, that we've discussed today, you found those to resonate, then we're going to outline in seven steps, like what that looks like for you um, to put those into a practical application to make more money from your art, but not from like a salesy, like money's the driver. Cause money's not the driver for us as creatives, but again, the mission, you know, so what is the money serving mission wise and how can you lean into that to, create more opportunity um, and yeah, be more fulfilled. Okay. That's great. And tell us all the ways that people can find you. Most of my socials are just stop the starving artist. I think they all are. Um, so on TikTok, really uh, keyed in there. That's probably my highest volume platform currently. Uh, you can find a YouTube channel, Stop the Starving Artist. I'm going to lean way heavy into that in 2024. Um, so I'm super excited uh, about that. And then on Instagram, also Stop the Starving Artist. Okay. Um, and you, do you, this, I shouldn't be asking this, I should know this. Do you have your own podcast? I do. It's very poorly kept. <laughs> <laughs> but you can look for the stop the starving artist podcast and you'll see the the episodes that are up are incredibly valuable. And then, um, as I'm doing the YouTube, I think I'll be putting a lot of that into audio form as well. So it should be kicking back up in 2024. Okay. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just, I got so much out of it myself. I'm sure the listeners did too. Well, I'm so grateful. And I just want to say, um, as an acknowledgement to you, like what, you know, when I think of, uh, as I talked about, like a professional, somebody who's like showing up and doing the thing, like you totally fit that. And I'd never put someone in a, in a state of a follower count, uh, a vanity metric being the thing that qualifies you, you know? And so I want to encourage you and everybody here to be like, am I just showing up and doing the thing that I said I was going to do? And you are living by that through this podcast and showing up to serve people and what a gift and that should never be taken lightly. And so um, I'm grateful to be here and just honored that 
you're doing this work for artists. I think it's super important. Thank you so much. It's been a thrill. And I shocked myself when I jumped in and just started doing it. So that was one of my big, big accomplishments this year. I'm, I'm more of a wallflower type. So this is big for me to step out. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Don't forget to go to our Instagram or Facebook for at the heart of art podcast to see pictures of what we talk about links to Lennon and his work. You'd be helping us if you follow our accounts and continue to spread the word. Let us know what spoke to you this episode on our social media. We love your feedback. Thanks for listening. And now go do something creative today.